The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. And you may recall Stephen Curtis Chapman has been around. He's kind of like Michael W. Smith. He's been around the block a few times as a Christian worship leader, songwriter, whatever it is. And uh, they had an unfortunate accident several years ago. Uh, where Stephen was backing out and his young son was behind him and, and, and was hit by the car. And part of that song's inspiration, if I'm not mistaken, I might be a few years before that actually, was this song. Because God, um, how do you explain such a thing? And so God has brought them through much trial and, and, and tribulation, but God has been faithful. Amen? And God is faithful to you. If you have your Bible this morning, if you will turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to do a quick, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10. Woo! Uh, Luke 18. Luke 18. I, I had a note in front of me and I looked wrong. Luke 18 this morning. Pastor Nelson, I'm going to do a quick housekeeping thing with you. Pastor, the online nucleus embed code needs to come from the Facebook live post, not your thing. So if you can log into the Tower View main page and copy that over. We had some questions. It wasn't on the live stream right now. So just so you know. All right. That's out of the way. If you understood what I just said, say amen. That's a whole different language. That's right. So, woo, the things you don't get taught in seminary, right? Luke 18 this morning. We are wrapping up. This is our last in the series. We've had several questions from you guys about just life and, and things that you've asked. And if you're visiting with us, this is not our usual MO. 95% of the year, we're going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse by verse by verse. It's called expositional expository preaching. This is more topical preaching. It's kind of like when you talk to someone who you haven't seen for a while, you usually talk about the weather because that's what you know, right? And it's something easier, sports or whatever you got politics, society. But this is a topic that has been brought to us by someone from the congregation. In fact, all these, the last, I think we're in our eighth week now, have been questions you have had. Um, and we will wrap this up this week. And, and as we go forward, if you have further Bible questions, we, we won't always tackle them from the pulpit. Uh, but Nelson and I are hoping to restart our Facebook Live uh, question and answers that we've kind of done throughout the years. But this was a great question, and one I think many of you, if you're honest, will ask yourselves. What if I pray and God doesn't answer? Or to say it another way, what if I pray and God doesn't answer the way I would like Him to or the way I asked Him to? Or what if I pray and God doesn't do it in the time and the way, but He answers it, but just not with the twist I wanted on it? It's a real question. If you're, if you're not married and you want to be married and have kids, it's a thing. If you are married and can't have kids, it's a thing. If you're trying to figure out what happened to your grown kids who professed faith in Christ and walked away, deconstructed, de-churched their faith, there's a lot of fill-in-the-blanks you could put with this question. So I want to bring you to a passage that is, is in the Gospels. It's on the heels of Jesus talking about his return. And he's going to bring a parable to us that is familiar to you, but I pray is encouraging to you. I don't claim this morning that we're going to answer this probably to the satisfaction of everyone, especially the person who asked it. But I pray we take the principles, I pray we take the truths of Scripture, and we apply them to what we see in front of us. So if you have your Bible, if you're visiting with us, we do this kind of Nehemiah, Ezariah, Ezra, Ezariah, Woo! I promise the sermon will be more straightforward than my words this morning. If you are able to stand in honor of God's Word this morning, would you join us 
Uh, if you have your Bible open and you just want to listen, feel free. If you're online, thank you for joining us. If you're in your vehicle outside, thank you for being with us. Luke 18. And before we start, I want to say Luke does not often comment on the Gospels, but he does at the very start of the book. He does kind of leading through the history of the book, but this is one of the few times he actually pastorally, Luke does, tell us why Jesus told this parable. And here it is, Luke 18, 1 through 8. May God bless the reading of his word. And he, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not come to me, and so she will not keep bothering me and I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That's the whole thing right there. And the Lord said, verse 6, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to the elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find, will he find faith on the earth? It's a wonderful passage. It really is. And I pray it's encouraging to you this morning. I pray if you have this question or have had this question, or if you haven't already, you will, that this is something that you can take with you as we go before you. Let's pray together. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Brian, thanks for leading us this morning in worship with our team. Father, as we come to you to pray, we thank you for the grace of God that is ours in Christ. We come, Lord, expectantly, knowing that we are sinners, yet, Lord, you give us, you literally give us your Son, and we are co-heirs with Christ, co-equal, not with anyone, Father, but, Father, you are co-equal with the Son and the Spirit, the great blessed Trinity, the three-in-one God. Father, we thank you that all power, all authority, everything is under your hand today. Father, as we go through this, may this be an encouragement to many, a challenge, maybe even a conviction by your spirit about how we've handled this question and what we see here. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Maybe see the guys. Thank you so much. Well, I don't use vending machines a lot, but I have a feeling that some of you have this reaction when it comes to vending machines. Because for many of you, prayer is kind of like putting a dollar bill or, or swiping your card. I put that in my notes because I think a lot of vending machines today have a swipe option or a something option if you do that. And you, when you put your money in, you, sometimes when you push the selection you want, what happens? It doesn't come out, right? And you start getting a little bit hot under the collar. Some of you do. Come on, you do this. And you press it again, and it moves just a little bit with that twisty thing. And then you're looking around, seeing where the cameras are. You hit it a couple times. And then when you really get angry, you finally kick the machine, and it doesn't work the way you want it. And what happens? You stub your toe first off, right? But then you walk away mad because you didn't get that honey bun that cost you $2 when you could buy 12 of them at Dollar Tree for the same price. And you know how it is. And that's how many of us are in prayer. We pray, we go to God, we get a little frustrated because we can't see the, the results of prayers or it's not working the way it should, or at least we don't feel it's not working the way it should. And then eventually we just wave our hands, God, you're not going to answer me, so I'm out of here. And like that vending machine experience, we walk away and we just walk away. And I think that's true for most of us. If you've ever prayed for something before God at any length of time, you have felt that frustration, not saying it's biblical not saying it's, it's correct Christian living, but you felt that. If you've ever been a Christian before and prayed, you felt that. 
Whether it's in the heat of a moment when you're asking God for help, whether it's a long-term prayer for someone to come to Christ, or it's just simply just praying to God for him to show himself, as it were, to you in the word of God. You may feel this way. So God, why don't you answer my prayers? Well, I want to remind you this morning that God's invitation is always to call to him, to pray to him. He tells you that all the time. His promise is that he will hear us and he will answer us. That's always what he tells us. Read the Psalms and it's always there. But one thing God is committed to ultimately is his glory. He wants to show us that sometimes it's not about us. It really is about him. And, and here's what you need to understand. His commitment is our only hope that God himself is going to be committed to his glory as we pray is our hope when we don't see answers to the prayers that we pray. So when God is committed to us, he is going to answer us somehow. He really does delight in hearing us. Tim Keller, who I don't agree with all his theology or all his practical implications of theology, has said it this way. Prayer is like a little child walking into the king's room at three in the morning and asking for a drink of water. You have that kind of access to the God of the universe. He doesn't expel you. He doesn't throw you out. He doesn't say, hey, get out of here, you little brat. Go back to bed. He doesn't say, tisk tisk. He doesn't frown at you. He says, call to me. That's the invitation to pray. So, but why pray if God is sovereign? I mean, the answer is, uh, why not pray if he's sovereign? And what do we do if we've lost our heart to pray? Well, friends, the big idea today, if you're here, the big idea is just simply the summary of the sermon is simply this. The big idea is that, and, and this is a little John Piper-esque. I did this in, in, in Lane style because Lane is a big Piper fan. It's simply this, and you'll see it up on the screen, is that delighting in God is more important than decisions from God. Did you catch that? Delighting, worshiping, obeying, surrendering yourself to God is more important than getting answers to the prayers that we pray. I don't like the answer to that in my flesh. I'll be honest with you. I want my answer. I want it now. You, God, can I talk to your manager? Is he on duty today? You know how this is, but that's not what the Bible says. Delighting God is more important than decisions from God. I mean, I never get used to the moment miracle that we can pray moment by moment. You can pray when you're driving down the road. Some of you pray when your sports team prays, and that's a whole other topic. Or plays, not praise. I don't think they're praying while they're playing, but that's another topic. But he answers because of who he is. He answers because of what he's doing. And he answers because he loves us to see him work out all things for his glory. And this woman in this parable reminds us that God is a patient, kind, and wise God. And he is working all things for his glory. Amen? And that's what we know. Seven things this morning, some shorter, some longer. Seven reasons this morning to pray even when God doesn't seem to answer us. Seven things. If you have a bulletin, it's on the back right corner. We've tried to put that in there. It's not pretty looking, but it's there. You can fill in the blanks as we go. The first one I want you to see this morning is we pray because, we pray because, here's the first one, it is our duty. It is our duty. Look at verse one. He says, and he told them a parable. Who told them a parable? Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's Lord. He's Savior. He's Master. He's the Sovereign One. He's the Messiah. He is the one who forgave all your sin. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not give up. Now, that when someone tells you you ought to do something, you don't want to do it, do you? Be honest. When your parents said, go do this, you said, I'm going to go do this most times. Husbands, when your wife says, go do this, you give them a little, mm, little grunt, don't you? Or a little something most of the time. But when Jesus says, go and pray, he means it. 
And Luke captures that. We ought to consider prayer our duty. There's a lot of things in our Christian life that we could probably lessen, but prayer is not one of those. We should think of prayer not as a tedious duty, but rather as a sneakily brilliant strategy that keeps giving a weak but determined people a chance to actually win. You think about all the things that happened in the Old Testament. How did God overcome all those things? The people prayed. When Hezekiah was faced with a coming Assyrian army, he prayed. When, when uh, Gideon had, what, 400 men, all of them that lapped like dogs, you remember that story? And they took their, their, their torches and their little uh, uh, glass jars and they banged them together like a little kid with a drum and all the army scattered what happened. They were praying. God does some mighty things when we pray, amen? But so many today find it just a duty. It's just a thing you gotta do. If you're a good Christian, that's just what you do, right? You pray. But what I wanna say is this. To always be in prayer would to be interfere with other things in our lives. When we hear pray, we think of someone just like in a room over here with the, in your prayer closet. If you remember that movie that came out a few years ago where you used to lock yourself in a room and you, you don't come out until you're done praying. You can do that, and that's encouraged. But often when it says to pray at all times, it simply means you go about your day with a prayerful attitude. When that person cuts you off in traffic, when your kids don't do the things you should have, when we husbands sometimes have attitudes we shouldn't have. Wise, you're always perfect, we know, but that's how it works. You still need to pray to keep, oh, I'm kidding you. But he said we ought to always pray. When God doesn't answer your prayer, he doesn't say throw in the towel, he says keep praying. But some things happen when we pray. How should we pray? Three things, and Amy, if you just want to put those all up at the same time, how should we pray? We should pray regularly. We should pray. We should have a fixed time of prayer. There should be a time in your day where you set out part of time to pray. Jesus did that. He got up early in the morning. There should be a time at church when we pray. We should pray at home because we want our house to be known as a house that serves the Lord, Joshua style. There should be a time where we walk and, and we, we cry out to him at nighttime as a family, as, as a couple, as singles, as whatever we are, widow or widower. There's also a time when it's needed. We should pray when we're prosperous. Proverbs 30 tells us that we ought to pray that God not give us more than we need or less than we need, that he gives us just our enough. There's also a prayer we should pray in our trials. We should pray when hard times come our way, shouldn't we? But that's when most people find they do pray the most, isn't it? Well, God, I haven't talked to you in a week, but man, I'm in a bind. Can you help me out? Don't you hate when people knock on your door? or call you, and you haven't seen them for a long time, and you know they want something from you. They don't care who you are. They just want something from you. Well, I want to tell you, if you've been absent from your prayers with God for a while, he doesn't care what you want. He wants you, and that's what matters most. But we also pray as we go throughout our day. Is the on-the-fly prayer of Peter, Lord, save me, as he's literally sinking, as he's walking on water, any less important than Paul's prayers as he writes a letter to the churches? No, it's the matter of the heart behind it. Friends, as you pray, it's a duty to pray. And you should see it as that. It's a duty to pray. You have the arsenal of God Almighty at your disposal if you will simply but pray. But pastor, that's great, but he doesn't answer my prayers. He answers your prayers 10,000 more times than you can think or see in front of your eyes every day. You're breathing, aren't you? You've been saved, haven't you? Your prayers have been answered in more ways. That's the first thing. And I always want to tell you this. The bottom line is, is the love is not a mere duty to pray, but it's, it's a love. If you don't have it, give yourself no rest until you pray and see it as a, not a chore, but a loving thing you do.
I mean, if a husband does things out of a loving duty to serve his wife, should he just be considered a hired hand? You've heard that illustration. I've told you before. If I go on a trip and uh, uh, I come back and, and I haven't seen my wife and I give her a big uh, passionate kiss on the lips and she says, boy, where'd that come from? Well, here in the Manual of Husbands on page 719, it says after a long trip, you're supposed to kiss your wife passionately. I might be on another trip outside, won't I be, at that point. Just because you do something doesn't mean you have to do it like a robot. It's a duty. But secondly, I want you to see this. When God doesn't answer you, you pray because it's your duty. You secondly pray because it's your privilege. Notice verse 1 again. He tells you there, we haven't even gotten in the parable yet, guys. He says in verse 1, Luke's commentary, that we ought to pray and not lose heart or not give up. Now, I know if we're honest, this is nothing new. We like immediate results. We love when someone doesn't text you back, young people, in a certain amount of time. What do you think? Did I say something wrong? Did I hit the wrong button? You ought to always pray. When you submit your results, some of you have had COVID before, and, and you get those results, those 20-minute rapid tests can't come back quick enough because you're trying to figure out life. You, you understand this. If you have to pop in a freezer meal in the microwave from 30 minutes, your life's over. If you have to sit at McDonald's for five extra minutes, please don't go to McDonald's. At least try Burger King to step up. But you understand, we don't like things not happening instantly. We want it to happen right away. But he says, do not give up. And when you're praying for something and you don't see results, oftentimes you give up. But friends, it's often those things in life, especially in prayer, and Amy's going to put this up, a seemingly hour of prayer that it doesn't seem to be going anywhere is better than no prayer at all. We need to learn to persevere in prayer. We do. Sometimes you feel like you're going through the motions, but let me tell you, can we put this on a secular level for a moment? A doctor is going to say no exercise is worse than what? Not exercising. You want to get better? You practice it. There are some days I hate running because it's, I'm tired. I don't want to get up. I want to be chased by animals. I just don't want to do it. But I know one run over a lifetime can make a deposit into a fitness bank. That's secular stuff. What about your prayer life? If you've given up in praying for God, remember this. It's your privilege to pray. Muslims will pray so many times a day. Guys, people will pray to gods all the time in the hopes they'll be heard. You serve a God who heard your greatest prayer and he gave you his son, Jesus Christ. It's our privilege to pray. Perhaps why John Wesley, that great Methodist, said, he said, bear up the hands that hang down by faith and prayer, support the tottering knee, reprove and encourage, storm the throne of grace with prayer, and persevere therein, and God's mercy will come undown. That I am sure. The reason you persevere in prayer is because God is faithfully watching over you. Prayer is not always about the answers he gives as much as about making you more like Jesus Christ. I know you don't like to hear that, as a human, I don't. But often when you struggle to pray for something over and over and over, it's because God wants to teach you more about himself. And that's what the parable says. Those are two quick ones. Let's go to number three. Why do you pray? It's your duty. It's your privilege. Number three, it's because we live under unbelieving rulers. Why do you pray? It's because the person in the White House, the, the Red Square, Tiananmen Square, whatever the, the big official Capitol building is, may not know the God that you know. Look back at verse 2. You got your Bible handy still? Look at verse 2. The parable starts. 
Jesus says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. Insert United States of America. Am I right? Amen. Insert every country that's ever been in this world outside of those who truly followed Christ. Look, Jesus doesn't give us any context of this. He just simply says there was an unjust judge. He neither feared God nor feared man. Basically, he disobeyed the two commandments that Jesus told the people to do. What were they? To love, can you say it with me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. This man didn't care for either one of those. He was a man's man. He was a John Wayne of rulers. But friends, I will tell you this, that when you pray, you're often discouraged in your prayers because you look at the landscape around you, and many of you have been praying for society and nation, and you don't see God answering your prayer. You pray, God, bring revival to this land. God, stir the politicians to know you. And then they go off and do something crazy or they get in a scandal and you think, God, where are you? But let me tell you this, the death of any society, and Amy will put this up, the death of any society begins with its abandonment of God. And it rolls down to to human life. I pray you're praying. Look, we do not live and die by Supreme Court justices. But I pray that you're praying this last week as they argued for the sanctity of human life before the courts, and you continue to pray for that. It begins with the devaluing of life, the destruction of family, religious freedom, and civil decency. Let me tell you what sucks the energy out of many of your prayers. It's just looking around. But let me remind you that you are, Romans 13, 6, you are to pay taxes because the authorities are ministers of God, Paul said. Daniel reminded us, In Daniel 5, he said, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. The point is, is that all kings, all rulers, all presidents, every one of them is under the authority of Christ himself. Isn't that what Jesus said? Remember when he went before Pilate and Pilate said, look, look, dude, I've got the the authority to let you go right now, scot-free. And Jesus looked back at him as only Jesus could and said, you wouldn't have any authority unless my father in heaven gave it to you. God has his reasons why one arrogant ruler falls now and and, and others later. Look, friends, you may have given up praying and trusting God because you look around and you see society as it is. Guess what? Non-Christians are going to do non-Christian things. You pray for them to be converted. You pray for wisdom for your leaders. You pray for all those things, but do not be hindered in your prayers. Do not give up in your prayers, your duty of prayer, simply because unbelieving rulers. Well, we just got the right man in the White House. Guys, they say that every four years to get your vote. Stop it. Are you praying more than you're worried about who's in the White House? And I'm serious. Does your Fox News, CNN, MSNBC overtake more time than you pray to God during a week? Let's be real. I hope it doesn't. We live under unrelieving rules. That's why we pray. Number four, we also pray We pray because we won't find absolute fairness in this world. Look at verse 3. We won't find absolute fairness in this world. The widow picks up here. Jesus telling about this widow. He says, and there was a widow in a city that kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. A couple things here of context. Um, You know, if you look at his history, we know that most widows in the ancient world were, were poor. They were destitute. If they didn't have family to take care of them, they didn't. But there were instances, and Lane can back this up as well, there were instances where people uh, were widows that actually got the estate, their husband's estate, like you would think they would today. And this widow seems to be one of those. She has enough money to be able to go to court. 
She has enough money to be persistent enough to be heard by the judge. Something of influence is there. Her husband, her family, that's what we know. But one thing we do know is this judge is going against what the Bible says. We are to take care of those who are widows and orphans and, and all those. But she kept coming to him. She kept knocking on that door. Don't you love when someone asks you the same question as a thousand times? Amen? In our house, we, we, have, we have that situation. We have some who ask questions and we love them for it. They, we ask the same question a lot. And after a while, we just want to give in, don't you? You just want to raise the white flag and say, please just take the answer and go. But sometimes that's not exactly how it works. What we know is that this judge put off this widow. And I'll tell you that it, this judge's decision probably wasn't as bad as the delay of the final answer by the judge. And when it says, avenge me and vindicate me, this is not some personal injury. This isn't some Judge Judy, people's court kind of TV drama, daytime TV thing where they're fighting over who gets the car after a bad relationship breakup. Something has happened to her. We don't know what it is. It could be her estate. It could be something. But they're trying to take it away from her. And friends, sometimes you don't pray because this world is not fair, isn't it? You don't pray because you think you've got the proverbial short end of the stick. You drew the short straw. The cards were stacked against you, as the phrases say. But Christian, I want to remind you today, this is the lot of your life. You will never have success in the world's standards and be loved by the world, by the world's ways, unless you are walking with the world. In this life, you expect hardship, Christian, don't you? You are called in 1 Peter, elect exiles. You're called those who are not supposed to be of this world. We say that phrase sometimes, don't we? We are simply passing through this world. You know, it's kind of like when you're at someone else's house, and I love this as a kid. When you showed up at someone else's house, usually you could make a big mess, and uh, the mom of the house would say, oh, don't worry, we'll clean it up for you. I love that as a kid, didn't you? Because you didn't have to pick up your mess. You could just do whatever you wanted. But Christians, that's not what we're here to do. We are not of this world. We are not in this world. Our Savior is coming again. We'll get there in the point seven. But I want you to know, you are to be a good citizen of this world, but it's not going to be fair to you. We should not be surprised that Christians are put off to the side. We should not be surprised that Christians get the boot in religious liberty settlements. We should not be surprised that Christians are persecuted more. How many mosques did they shut down over Christian churches because of COVID? Ask that question and see what answer you get. And friends, Islam is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. All those who deny Jesus Christ are considered to be antichrist, according to the scriptures. My point is this. You are not going to get a fair shake out of this world. Don't expect it, but don't let your prayers be hindered by it. You often give up in this world because you look around at everybody else like the psalmist did and say, Lord, why is that wicked man prospering? And I'm faithfully serving you and I'm getting the short end of the stick. Often, guys, we give up because we forget that God is bigger than everything. Isn't that what happened in the parable of the, of the prodigal son? You remember this? The prodigal son ran amok. He literally blew the inheritance, and he comes back and gets a big party. And what does the older brother say at the very end? Well, here I've been the whole time, and you haven't given me anything. And the father said to that older brother, well, I've taken care of you, haven't I? I've been with you, haven't I? It's a picture of the gospel going to the Gentiles is what it is. Through that prodigal son. Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. He will lead you. He will guide you, even when things don't make sense. Number five, we're getting there, guys. Hang tight. I know it's hot in here. 
God sovereignly reigns over the affairs of men. Why do you pray? Because God sovereignly reigns over the prayers of men. What happened to this widow? She's got a guy who doesn't fear God, who doesn't care about men. She's been pleading her case. Look at verse 4. For a while the judge refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear not God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Amen. Guys, that is how God tells us to pray. And the reason for the change in the widow's case, her persistence. She just kept calling and kept doing it over and over and over and over. And finally, the judge says, just get out of my sight. Leave me alone. I need a moment of silence without you around me all the time. Does God still answer prayer like that? Amen, he does, church. He does. But I want to remind you about, I'm going to give you three cautions here. And we're, they'll be up on two slides. Three cautions. I'll read them to you. But I want to remind you is that we, we see her example and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and God blesses that. But I want to caution you the other side of the biblical side. You ready for this? Just because we put God's stamp of approval on something does not mean he's going to bless it. Insert every pastor and church idea that has ever come through the halls of a church. Well, we thought about it. We talked about it. We're ready to move forward with it. Surely God's going to bless it. And he doesn't at least in numbers and numerics. The second thing I want to caution you about is, even if you're as persistent as this widow, God sovereignly uses disappointments for your good. When he doesn't answer the way he wants you, you want him to, the ruins of our own cherished plans are often the steps that God has for us to see him for who he really is. And the third caution is this, is that without warning, God will interrupt and divert my plans because he loves me, and he will do in me what he thinks is best. Parents, you never did this to your children, did you? Whatever they wanted to do, you let them do all the time, right? Because that was, that was the best thing for them, right? If you can't hear my sarcasm, hear it now. God knows you. He made you. He redeemed you. He's sovereignly working through you. And I want you to know that God worked in the heart of this wicked man to answer the prayer of a faithful woman of God. What an awesome thing. Do not look around and see, I have unjust rulers. It's not fair. Guys, gods, let me just say it this way. I'll quote Proverbs here. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God can take your prayer and turn things around for you in an instant. I mean, have you ever seen that happen in your life? Have you ever seen where God truly took a prayer that you prayed and you thought it would never be answered and it all worked out for your good? You, have you ever had that happen before? You've prayed for it, and God does it. Since God is sovereign and we will not, he has control over the people, the places, and the things that we often do not. And guys, I want to just encourage you to keep praying like this widow, because God, if God can change the heart of a man who neither respects him or cares about people, he can change any circumstance for your glory, for, for, excuse me, for his glory and your good. He's not a divine slot machine. He's not a cosmic bellhop. He's not going to bring you everything on a silver platter. He, if you pray it and, and, and ask for it, if you blab it and grab it, he's not going to... We know this church well enough. Don't let Joel Osteen, don't let Creflo Dollar, don't let uh, all the, the junk that you see on TV inform about who God is, but don't let him also steal it away from you. 
God blesses persistent prayer and he will answer it according to his will because he sovereignly reigns over the affairs of men. If God can swallow Jonah with a big fish and vomit him up on a beach somewhere, he can take your prayer and turn it in for your good. Amen? You didn't want that analogy, but you got it. So there you go. You ever think about that? What a, what a hot mess he was coming out of that mouth and going to preaching. I wouldn't want to hurt a... Anyway, that's another sermon. But God uses things all the time. He is sovereign. Number six, why do we pray? We pray because God's honor is concerned in relieving the wants and needs of his people. This is you. Look at verse six. Jesus wraps up the parable. You pray because God answers your prayer. And the Lord said, this is Jesus speaking, and Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Verse seven, and will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? If you haven't caught it already, the widow represents the people of God, the Christians of the world, the church at large. And what Jesus is saying is that if the persistence of a person in a secular case can change the heart of a wicked judge, how much more should we know that we are regarded by our most gracious God and he's ever ready to give us his best? Guys, that is an awesome thing. After all, we are his elect. I know, we're getting in that topic. No one wants to broach, right? Look, the Bible says that if you're a Christian, you are elect. No one voted you in to be a child of God. You didn't vote yourself in to be a child of God, but he chose you, as it were, to be his child in him. And he says, these are, you're not just any chump, you're not just any no good, you're not just any regular Joe, you're his child. And if we cry out to him, will he not accept our prayer? He will. Church, that's why I want you to continue to pray, as, as Brother Brian shared in the, uh, uh, the Sunday school hour, for Gracemore, for Maple Park, uh, get my directions here, for Randolph, for Clay Como, for Pleasant Valley, almost diagonal to us, up by uh, the Ford plant. You pray that God would save them, that God would use our church to reach out to them, that the gospel would be cleared through us in them. And I want you to know you are chosen, you're created, you are held, you are loved, you've been atoned for, you've been purchased, you have been made alive, you've been owned, you've been acquitted, forgiven, adopted, indwelt, purified, gladdened, sent, empowered. Can the list go on? Yes, it can. And if you're a Christian, one of the evidences you're a Christian is that you don't stop praying. You, you keep on praying. You cry out to him day and night because that is an evidence that you really are one of his elect. A prayerless Christian is a Christless Christian, Spurgeon said. What that means is, is not that you want to have seasons where you don't feel like praying to God, but if you think you can do all your life in your own strength and you have no desire to pray, you have no desire to seek God in prayer, then, then the ultimate question is going to come is, do you really know God or do you know some religion outside of God? Because our God wants to relieve the wants and needs of his people, and he does. He does all the time. The last thing is this. Why do you pray? You pray because, and this will get you moving, his return is soon, and his rewards are sure. His return is soon, and his rewards are sure. Look back at verse 8. Jesus closes this out. He says, nevertheless, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Guys, that's us. God is going to right all the wrongs that everything in this world does not right for us. He's bringing justice back. But he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, speaking of himself, when Christ comes, will he find faith on this earth? You know one of the last prayers, actually the last prayer of the Bible is? Do you know what it is? 
Come, Lord Jesus. That's right. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now look, we need to caution ourselves, don't we? We don't want to make every uh, event on the news calendar, a news flash, uh, another proverbial uh, pinning the tail on the Antichrist, the return of Christ. We know not the day or the hour, but we do know he's coming. Did you see that here? He is, says he's coming again. Well, pastor, it's been 2,000 years. Where in the world is he? He's in heaven reigning. He's in heaven superintending everything, but he's coming again. And when you pray, I want you to get this in mind. You need to set your heart's clock to heaven's time zone so your fears will shrink, so everything will grow in anticipation of him, your love will expand, and you will pray with fervency. Well, he still hasn't, you still haven't answered the question, Pastor. I pray to God and he hasn't answered me. Well, God has given you at least seven things in here you can pray about while you wait. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying you won't lose heart at times. I'm not saying that you won't want to throw in the towel. But I want to remind you, will he find faith on this earth? True Christians are going to continue to pray even when things don't make sense. You will struggle at times with that if you're a Christian. Let's be real. But at times, you're not going to give up. You're going to keep praying. Why? Because he is going to see you through. And he has. <laughs> Forty years in the wilderness, they walked around in circles. They tell you as a pastor not to make sermons about this, but I have to throw this in there. Y'all, y'all know I like to run on a treadmill. It drives Pastor Nelson nuts because Pastor Nelson doesn't like, he couldn't just sit there and be on a treadmill for two or three hours at a time. You know what drives me nuts? People who run on a track nonstop. That's what drives me nuts. The nuttier just got nuttier. People of Israel walked around for 40 years in like a track-like motion. Can you imagine that? Watching paint dry might have been as boring as watching them circle around the same desert over and over and over again. If God can faithfully care for those people for 40 years in their sin and rebellion and take them to the promised land, will our God not bring us out as we go through the same motions day by day like a circle? He's faithful, guys. He's coming again, amen? Your Savior lives. He's coming again. Trust Him. Pastor, what if he doesn't answer my prayer? What I know is this, and Spurgeon says it this way, if I did not believe in the final return of Jesus, I would be the most men to be pitied. Someday we will look back as God has it and see every prayer we've prayed, I believe, and see every answer he didn't give us and every reason to why. And he doesn't have to give that to us, but I think the scripture indicates that somehow he will. And we will praise God for every time we prayed for something. And he said, no. He said, this way, that way. It really is better. If you're here today and you're struggling with something you're praying about, don't give up. But whatever God brings, trust him that it is what he has for you and it is good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Father, as we come to you, we thank you for, as we invite our worship team up here to close out, Father, we thank you that these are real honest questions. And Father, um, we've kind of taken, as Pastor Nelson noted in our preparation behind the scenes, we've taken kind of the rational approach today. This is very, it, it's very easy to see the text. It's very easy to see the straightforward answers. But Father, for most in this room, the struggle is real that uh, they know this stuff. This isn't earth shattering for most in this room. 
but the reality is it's hard to see lived out in the life. So, Lord, where we know in our heads and it hasn't quite hit our hearts, our hearts are hurting and it's, it's arguing with what we know from Scripture in our heads, may your Spirit lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. Father, I thank you that you even hear us. Thank you that by Christ we can storm the gates of heaven, as it were, through Christ, the throne of grace, boldly, because you are there. Father, for those praying for spouses or children or, or, or events or finances or just direction in life or more Christ-likeness, whatever the prayer is, Father, would you lead them individually? You call us together as a church corporately, but thank you, Lord, you lead us individually. It may not look the same as our brother or sister, but you're still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time. As we close in this hymn that we've only sung a few times here, would you be glorified? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother.